Greetings to all of you tonight in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Certainly a privilege to be here with you tonight and to worship with you in this way. Thank you for those opening comments, Brother Milo, as it relates to the Scriptures. Maybe just a brief introduction. Many of you I do not know. You are only friends that I haven't met yet. So hopefully by the end of the week, uh, we will know you much better. My wife, Lois, is a sister to Sunny Week here. And so there might be some connection there. We have five children. The Lord bless us with five children. Two of them, or maybe I should start with the oldest one. Our oldest daughter is living at Faith Mission just close by here. She and her husband are serving there, have for the last two years. He is maintenance man there. And then our next two sons are married and live in the community there in northwest Arkansas where we live, Huntsville area. They're part of the farm there, and so they are part of our week here as well because would it not be for them, I probably couldn't be here, or at least not as, as freely as I do. I don't worry about things at home at all. I just kind of disconnect from there this week. And then our youngest son, Kendall, he is serving at Mountain View as Dean of Men currently. And then our youngest daughter, Mary Jo, is with us here as well. So we do have five children. I grew up in western Oklahoma. And my wife would have grown up in northern Indiana. And we were married in 1982. That gives you a bit of our age. I was ordained in 1996. Then in 2005, our family moved to Ireland, the country of Ireland, and spent five years there in, in mission work. I don't know if the name William McGrath rings a bell at all, but if it does, we were there where he was at. Kind of, he was the pioneer of that mission, and so Mission Interest Committee, which is an organization, board members of the Beachy Amish churches are a part of the overseeing oversight of that mission there. So we served there for five years. 2010, when we came back, is when we then moved to Northwest Arkansas. Previously, previous to that, we had been living in Northern Indiana for about 25 years. So yes, it is good to be with you tonight, and it's been some time that I had received a phone call to come for a week of meetings here. I just have to be very honest with you, I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone, because generally when I go for a week of meeting, it's to one of our constituency churches, or Beachy Amish churches, Amish Mennonites, so I haven't preached at Mennonite churches, I don't know if I can say that I've ever been there for a week, but I trust we're all people, we have needs that are much similar, much the same. As I told someone earlier tonight, I've preached at uh, Russian Baptist churches in Germany. I've preached at uh, Anglican Church in Wales. So I have preached at a number of different kinds of churches. The Word of God is for all people. Wherever we find ourselves, God's Word is for all of us. And it's my desire to preach none other than truth this week, 
the Word of God. Recently, I came across this thought in my personal devotions just within the past week that said something like this. If it is new, it is not true. And if it is true, it is not new. As it relates to the Word of God. Now, there are many things I am quick to tell you that I don't understand yet from the Word of God, and I desire to become uh, better equipped to have a better understanding of Scripture. But just because I don't know and haven't discovered it yet doesn't mean that it's new. It's still there. It is truth. And we want to focus on truth. Paul said, and I echo his words, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he said something like this. He said, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified. That's my desire for this week, that you would pray that the word of God would have freedom and would be able to minister to each of our hearts. This is not the text verse tonight. I want to, and you can open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, but there's a verse in the New Testament that I'd like to just begin with that says something like this, For which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Do you need revival? Do I need revival? Do you need renewing? We do. I do. It's, a, it, it's daily an experience that, that, that the inward man needs to be renewed day by day. We tend to become dirty, don't we? We tend to become... The weeds grow. It just happens. And so there are times that we need to just take an honest look at our lives to see where we're at and to rekindle the flame lest it become dim and even be quenched. We have here in Second Chronicles chapter 30 an account from the Scriptures as it relates to a revival experience. And tonight I'd like to look at this Scripture as a text and just try to deduct or unpack some truths from this, from this chapter as it relates to the re being renewed on a daily basis. In this case, it was an experience that they had not had for many, many years. The setting here is King Ahaz had, was a very ungodly, wicked king. And we would read, if I would read chapter 28 and 29, we could see that. There was a lot of apostasy, there was a drifting away from God in, in Judah. And King Ahaz worshipped God Molech in the valley of Kinnom, and there he burnt even his own children as sacrifice to these gods. He was a very wicked king, and because of, God, of their wickedness, God brought judgment to Judah. Syria and Israel was attacking from the north, and Edom, the Edomites from the east, and the Philistines from the west, and ju thus Judah was brought very low. And this is where we find them in Second Chronicles chapter 30. 
Now, King Hezekiah has, is now on the throne. Hezekiah is a very godly king, and he desires to bring reform or revival back to Israel or back to Judah. And yes, and we'll see how he even extends it on into Israel. But he opens again the temple door, which King Ahaz had shut. And he opens the temple in, in chapter 29, verse 3, there talks about that, where he had opened the temple. And then in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 30, and I'm just going to, we're just going to go through this several verses at a time and, and discover what we can discover about, see what we can discover about renewal and revival. Verse 1, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh and they, they, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. So he's inviting Israel and Judah to come back to Jerusalem to observe a Passover. Now a Passover in typology for the children of Israel was none other than a salvation experience for us. So tonight, let's, let, let, let's, let's just consider that, that, that we're inviting us to come and renew that salvation experience. Verse 2 and 3, they simply tell us that previously to this, or previous to this, the timing was not right. But now the timing is correct. And so what do we find then in verse 4? And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it in a long time in such a sort as it was written. So, he invites them to come clear from Beersheba, which, if I'm not mistaken, would have been down in the southern part of, of, uh, of Judah, even to the far northern part of Sudan, which was in the northern part of Israel. And he invites them to come to Jerusalem for a renewal experience, for a revival experience. Verse 6 through 9, we have the invitation. So let's consider what that invitation was. So the post went with the letters from the king as, as his princes throughout all Israel and Judah and according to the commandment of the king saying, and this is what he had written, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God to, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not ye like your fathers, and like brethren which trespass against the Lord God their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into the sanctuary which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may be turned away from you. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive, so that they shall come again into the, this land 
For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away from his, not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. So that was the message. That was the invitation that these hosts or these mailmen, we would say, these delivery men that were to take them from Beersheba, even as far north as Dan, and invite these men of men and women of Israel and Judah to return to Jerusalem for this Passover. He reminds them in verse 9. God is gracious and merciful. The attributes of God. God is gracious and God is merciful. And I want us not to forget that. We serve a God that is gracious and merciful. Prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God of mercy. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. God is gracious. God is merciful. And Hezekiah wanted to remind Israel and Judah of that. And he says, come. Come. Come back to Jerusalem to observe this Passover. Come is always a beautiful word. Invitation. Come. Come. Now, Isaiah says, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus in the New Testament said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come is a beautiful word. But renewal, revival is always conditional. Did you notice Hezekiah says in this letter in verse 9, For if you turn again unto the Lord. He ends the verse with that two-letter word again. If you return unto him. So our renewal is always going to be conditional if we return, if we return. Notice then what it says in verse 10, how fast. So the post passed from city to city to the country from, of Ephraim and Manasseh, even to Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. They laughed them to scorn and they mocked. You suppose they said something like this. Why should we return? We don't have a need. Is there a need for renewal? What would be wrong with us? Maybe they were a people like they were in the days of Malachi the prophet. Malachi 3, 7 says something like this. Even from the days of your fathers, 
You are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, he begs of them, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? There's no need for a return. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. They left them to scorn. But I love, I love verse 11. Nevertheless, in contrast to divers of Asher, Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. There were those who did heed the message of King Hezekiah. And they said, yes, we will return. Now I'd like to quickly consider about six steps as it relates to revival. Six things that must take place in my heart, in our hearts, that had to take place here in the hearts of the people of Judah and Israel if there was going to be a returning and a revival. Point number one, step number one is, in, in revival, is that we must humble ourselves. It says, Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, there'll never be a renewal experience in our lives unless there's humility. Humble hearts. Humble hearts. Second Chronicles 7, 14, that scripture that we often refer to as relates to revival. If my people which are called by my name shall what? Number one, humble themselves. Humble. I feel so much against my nature. Against our nature. We're a proud people. We're like those who said, we've got, we must. Why should we return? I am pretty good. Humbling ourselves. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and favor such as be of a contrite spirit. Humility. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit and a broke a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The prophet Joel, he called for not a rending of the garments, but a rending of the heart. Humility. A humbling of ourselves. And dare I say this, this, this evening that sometimes this process is painful. Our loving Father would take us through experiences in life, but then to break us, to humble us, to deal with that pride within us. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Do I need grace? Do you need grace? We need grace. And the only way that we'll receive grace is if a heart is humble. Humble hearts receive grace. 
I've often wondered, why was it that Isaiah the prophet in chapter 6, of his, he, he says, he talks about his vision of having seen God. And he says, woe is me. About six times, I think if I'm not mistaken, a number of times that he says, woe is me. And he begins Isaiah chapter 6 by saying, for you see the year that King Uzziah died. What's the connection? If we make a study of King Uzziah, King Uzziah began well. The Bible tells us that he began as a young man who was a godly king. But there came a time in, in, in his, his reign that he became strong, the Bible says. He was a man that was very successful. But, but the Bible says that when he became strong and his heart was lifted up, yes, God had to deal with him. Became a leper. You suppose Isaiah thought about that? That here was a man that was a humble man. But as his as he became successful, things went well for him. He became proud. And God had to deal with him. Yes, humility must always precede or be a part of revival and renewal. Secondly, we find it in verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart and to do the commandments of the king of, and of the princes by the word of the Lord. So if there's going to be renewal, there must be a turning back to the Word of God, or a turning to the Word. And we've already heard about that tonight in the devotional, what the Word of God does for us. And in this case, the Word came through the king and the, the princess, it says here. And yes, there must be a turning back to truth, to the absolute the Word of God. Point number three, we find in verse 13 through 14, And there assembled at Jerusalem much people, keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, and a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were at, in Jerusalem, and all the altars for, for incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. So point number three, when there's revival, there's renewal, there's a destroying of evil. They had to take those altars that were used to worship these idols, and they had to destroy them. So renewal always calls for repentance, a turning away from, a turning around from that which is evil. And that's what it called for here. And that's what, it took, that's what took place. True revival does not only challenge us, but I dare say it changes us. It makes a difference in the way that I live. Jesus reminded us 
that sometimes we need to put the edge of the knife to it. Cut it off. Remove it from you, lest it hinder you from being renewed day by day. Cut it off. Remove it. In this case, they took the, or these altars and they threw them into the brook Kidron. In Acts chapter 19, I won't turn to that, uh, that scripture, but there there was a revival as well. That called for a bonfire. They gathered together some of those curious arts and books and things that would, would hinder them. And there was a bonfire. They burned those books. So there must always be a destroying of evil when there's truly renewal and revival. There's evil in our hearts and lives that must be dealt with. Step number four, verse 15. Then they kill the Passover. On the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings in, into the house of the Lord. Is it fair to say that there's going to be renewal? There must always be a shame for sin. An awareness that sin separates me from God. Sin must be seen as being shameful. Here they saw their sin as being shameful. They were ashamed, the Bible says. Shame, sin, is to bring guilt. Adam and Eve hid themselves. Why? Shame. Shame. And, and dare I ask the question tonight, in, in many ways in the world, sin is no longer seen as shameful. And in the days of Israel, there were times that sin was not shameful. They did not see sin as being shameful. The prophet Jeremiah, he asks a very pertinent question, and he, and he repeats it two times, exactly word for word. I think it's in chapter 6 and chapter 8 as well. In chapter 6 and verse 15, he says, talking about Israel, God's people, Judah and Israel, were they ashamed at the abomination which they had committed? And he answers his own question. He says, nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. There was no shame for sin. You see, in chapter 5 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet says something like this when he's talking about the men of Israel as it relates to their morals of the day. And he says, they were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed at his neighbor's wife. Do you get the picture? Were they ashamed? No. If there is to be renewal, if there is to be revival, sin 
must be lived as shameful. Step number five, verse 16 through 18. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they re- received of the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passover of every one that was not clean, to sanctify them unto the Lord. For, the, for a multitude of the people, even many from, of Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat of the Passover otherwise than it was written. Step number five simply means that when there's renewal, there's cleansing. Cleansing. There needed to be a cleansing taking place here if there was going to be the observing of the Passover. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Respecting holiness in the fear of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed. Cleansing. Oh, we need cleansing, don't we? Continually, we need cleansing. We become filthy and dirty, and so we need cleansing. There's a cleansing factor. The blood of Jesus cleanses and makes us clean. Cleansing. We have spots of leprosy like Naaman had. We need to be cleansed and removed. Revival always will bring cleansing. Lastly, point number six, as it relates to steps for revival, we find it in verse 19. I begin in, in verse 18b, where it says, But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. And the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Point number six, step number six towards revival is that we must seek God. There must be a seeking of God, seeking after God. Psalm 27, 8 says, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Are you seeking the face of God tonight? Searching for God. Seeking after God. I think it was A.W. Tozer that says something like this. There must be an acute desire for God or he will not manifest himself to us. God is not going to reveal himself to a people who are not seeking for him and searching after him. Seeking God. All of us know this familiar verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him 
Now, why was Paul writing such a, making such a statement 30 years after Acts chapter 9? The Apostle Paul never lost sight of pursuing after God. That I may know him. 30 years later, he was still burdened and wanted to know God in a more intimate way. God reveals himself to those who seek him, who pursue him. And dare I say it becomes a pursuit of a lifetime. There are, young, there are older men who have journeyed in companion with the Lord Jesus here among us tonight. And I dare say they're still seeking after God. They're still in pursuit. Coming to know God in a more intimate way. Is there a hunger for God in your heart now? Hunger pains for God. Let me illustrate. There are basically three reasons that you and I might not be hungry for God. Tonight, there will be at least, I've been told, it's hard for us to imagine this, children. I don't think you can probably imagine anything like this, but I've been told that half of the children in this world will go to bed tonight hungry. We don't identify with anything like that. Well, let's, let's say that, that tomorrow morning, some of these children that are going to bed tonight hungry are going to pass on out of this, from this life tonight, they're going to starve to death. Sad. Now, if you took them food tomorrow morning, would they eat? No. They're dead. If I'm spiritually dead, I have no appetite for the things of God. I will not seek God. If I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, Secondly, about a month and a half or a year and a half ago, I was very, very sick. This is the beginning stages of the pandemic. I didn't test myself, but I'm convinced I had COVID. And people would ask me, did you lose your taste? I said, well, I don't know. I didn't have an appetite. I couldn't eat for a week or so. Why? I was sick. I was very sick. And dare I say tonight, when I'm spiritually sick, I lose appetite for God and the things of God. Thirdly, this takes me back a number of years. When our children were small, we had a little pantry in our kitchen. And in this pantry... On the very top shelf, we kept things, I think there were about five or six shelves, and on the very top shelf, we kept things like cheese curls, like various kinds of chips. Maybe you'd even find some candy bars or something up there. And that shelf had a name. The name of that shelf was Junk Food Shelf. One afternoon, I came to the kitchen, and there was a chair pushed over beside this pantry. 
which added about a foot and a half or two to the stature of a young lad, that so he could reach that pant, that, that, that shelf, a junk food shelf. Several hours later, come supper time, he was sitting at the table to eat our supper, and Lois had prepared a good meal. And there was one little lad that said, well, I'm not very hungry tonight. And I said, well, that, that puts the, the piece in the puzzle. You are the lad that pushed the chair to the pantry, right? Uh-huh. The point is, spiritually, if I feed on junk food, the filth of this world, it will destroy my appetite, my hunger pain for God and the things of God. Oh, I believe it's so important that if we're going to be renewal, we must seek God with our whole heart. Someone has said that, it, that, that in this world, or in America, actually they're talking about America, that if you would put everyone in America, the, the heart of everyone in America would be in a circle. My heart is a circle, your heart is a circle. There are many in this country that push God completely outside of the circle. They want nothing to do with God. Keep Him outside of the circle. But there are also many who want God Almighty on the outside fringes of the circle. So that when, when I face something that is painful, something that is out of my control, whether it be death, whether it be a disaster of some kind, that I can reach out there and I can grab God and bring him into the circle. I want him close enough to the edge so I can get a hold of him when I need him. And there are others, and I trust that's you and I tonight, that want God to encompass the entire circle, the entire circle of my life. We keep Him with our whole heart. Yes, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying that the Lord God pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek Now, quickly, in closing, six results of revival. And we find them here in this text. Look at verse 20. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Renewal and revival will always bring healing to a people. Whether it's individually or collectively. Do we need healing? We need healing. We're sick. Yes, we need healing. We live in a world where there are many that are hurting and sick, and we need healing. The prophet Isaiah, he talks about the dilemma in chapter 8 and verse 20. He says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. Well, that would be the dilemma, wouldn't it? Just several verses later, he talks about the deliverer, where he says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician? There is. There is. That's the deliverer. Now, 
the latter part of verse 22, he asks another question, a very pertinent one. He says, why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? So why isn't there healing? That's duty. Dilemma, deliver, and duty. What's the duty? The six steps that we just talked about that lead toward revival and renewal. We want healing. Yes, there is a physician. There is balm. There's a physician. But we have a responsibility. So Prophet Isaiah asked the question, why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Something's wrong. Because there's a physician there. Healing always comes with revival. Result number two in verse 21. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. There's always praise and gladness that comes with renewal and revival. A people who are praising the Lord for what He has done for us. There's a new song in our hearts. And we're singing. It's just part of that experience. Let's not lose the new song. May it be renewed day by day. Result number three. Verse 22. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites, that taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord and Lord God of their fathers. Another result is confession. If I fail, I confess. There's honesty. There's transparency. Hypocrisy must not be a part of that renewal experience. There's confession, agreeing with God, being honest with God, being honest with man. When Jesus in Matthew 23 rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for washing the outside of the sepulcher, of the platter, that inwardly it was filthy, he was not condemning them for keeping the outside clean, but he was condemning them because the outer did not match the inner. There wasn't transparency. There wasn't honesty. There was a hidden agenda. Confession cleared our hearts. In result number four, verse 25, a bit more repetition. And all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. Rejoicing. Yes, we talked about praising and gladness, but there's also rejoicing. That's a part of it. And then result number five. Verse 26, 
So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Result number five, great joy. 275 years had elapsed from the time there had been a Passover like this before the time. It's a long time. And so there was great rejoicing and joy taking place as they observed this Passover. And lastly, certainly not least, result number six in verse 27, then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. God will hear the prayers of those whose hearts are revived and renewed, who are seeking after him. God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. So tonight, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man must be renewed day by day. The revival, the renewal experiences of life. What are the steps? Number one, humbling ourselves. Number two, obeying the word of the Lord. Number three, destroying evil. Number four, seeing sin as shameful. Number five, cleansing our hearts, and number six, seeking God. What are the results? Healing, gladness and praise, confession, rejoicing, great joy, and God hearing and answering our prayers. May God create a clean heart within us. May there truly be renewal. I'm not going to give an invitation tonight. Let me just tell you where I'm at with the invitation. While I believe there is a place for us, and I do give invitations at times, but I like when a local people, a local congregation, if, if the Lord has spoken to you, you go to one of your pastors, one of your leaders, and you share with them. You find healing. You find deliverance. And fathers, children, if the Lord speaks to you throughout this week, if you have not yet committed your hearts to the Lord Jesus, and you sense that the Spirit of God speaks to you this week, I would encourage you, go to your mom and dad. And you just talk to them. You, you allow them to help you work through the experience of coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We've had the privilege to do that with our children. And it's a tremendous blessing for parents. And I don't want to take that away from them. You find deliverance as you share with your mom and dad. And beyond that, the Bible tells us that they overcame him by the word of the Lord uh, and by the word of their testimony. 
is powerful for us to be honest and confess publicly, verbally, with each other. So I may open it up sometime this week to allow you simply to express your heart before each other. That's the point here. As we heard, I trust to be holy trusts. Thank you for listening tonight. You've been a good audience. May God bless you with a good night's rest tonight and bring us back again together tomorrow night. Let's stand for closing prayer. Eternal Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your presence here with us tonight. Thank you, Father, for Second Chronicles chapter 30, an example of true revival, of a renewing of heart, of a turning back to you. Lord, I pray that there, if there are those tonight here who find themselves in sin, in shame, oh God, I pray that you would bring healing and comfort to those hearts, deliverance. Father, we want to seek you. We want to seek you, O God, with all of our hearts. May you be on the throne of our hearts, controlling completely every part of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would just bless this message. May the kingdom be enlarged. Father, we commit this message and evening to you and dismiss us now with your grace and blessing. May your hand watch over us. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you.